there is a movement sweeping across the land where fascination, understanding, transformation, and the story come to life. Read the story. Experience the Bible. All right, I think we'll go ahead and get started. I apologize. I know the last service got out a little bit later, so we're a little bit short on time. Good news is I don't have two books of the Bible to cover today like last week. We just have uh, one book of the Bible. So we'll be focusing on that story of uh, Joshua today, basically from the very beginning to the end. And uh, we'll see how much we can capture today and hopefully come away with uh, one more thing that we didn't know the week before. Let me open us up in prayer and we'll go ahead and get started for the day. Dear Lord, you do tell us uh, within your word over and over again that we should be uh, just involved in it, Lord, that we should be engulfed in it. And so today as we gather to be able to study your word, Lord, please make it clear to us and just take time to open up our ears and our hearts to a new truth that will grow our faith and pull us closer and closer to you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. All right, so today is chapter 7. The battle begins. Uh, Everybody got one of those yellow handouts? Uh, I hope there's a couple little fill-in-the-blanks today if you would like to uh, follow along and do that. Other than that, we'll read a few scripture passages today and focus on a couple of the main uh, stories or accounts within this chapter. So the book of Joshua, uh, pretty easy to know where it got its name from, right? All the other ones we had to do some studying, whether it was Deuteronomy or Exodus of what that word actually meant. Joshua is an easy one. It's actually named after the main individual within the story, absent from God, obviously, himself. So this is the account of Joshua. This story happens right after those first five books of the Old Testament close. Soon as it's done, this one begins. And so the date on this is right about 1406 uh, B.C. is when it starts. And then, of course, it goes a little bit further through the life of Joshua to about 1375 B.C. And if you read the opening remarks, either in the story or within uh, the Bible itself, it begins right away with Moses has has died. And God says, let's go. Joshua doesn't even get a a breather. It's, It's right away. He is ready for his people to go forward. Joshua has been chosen as this successor of Moses to be able to lead the people, and that's exactly what he does. Uh, So the author of the book of Joshua actually is pretty uncertain. Nobody can tell you for sure. Uh, There are different ideas of who this may be. Um, Some people say that Joshua himself authored a majority of the book except for his passing, and others say Samuel or one of the kings that we will get to in the future, uh, maybe you wrote some of these things down. And so there's some different uh, concepts of what this happened. Some people think it happened pretty quick. Some people would happen, think it happened maybe 800 years later that this book was actually penned. Either way, it is the account of Joshua and the people of Israel. Again, it wraps up the first five books of the Old Testament. And the book of Joshua uh, then focuses on two things. So those are the first uh, two fill in the blanks there. It really focuses on the concept of conquest 
and fulfillment. Those are the first two blanks. Conquest and fulfillment. So if you read the book of Joshua, if you haven't done so already, it's actually split fairly cleanly. It's about 24 chapters is what it is, and the first 12 are all about this conquest, all about the people going into the land and receiving that which God has promised them, being able to take from it. It's all these different battles. The second 12 chapters, 13 through 24, are all about the fulfillment of the different promises and covenants that God has given to his people. I'll be completely frank with you. The first 12 chapters, a lot more action, a lot more happening in there. Chapters 13 to 24, while very important and giving us some very specific details, it doesn't read uh, as action-packed as the first concept, but it does give us some very specific details. Even chapter 13, if you look in there, it talks about all of the kings that were conquered. I believe there's 31 different kings that the people of Israel conquer, and obviously their kingdoms alongside of them. So this is the story. After 40 years now, remember, the people have been wandering. Before that, those people were in slavery for so long, and today they kick off with something very different. And so I want to have maybe just a, a quick little piece of discussion, uh, at least think about it today. Uh, why is God giving the people of Israel this promised land? We talked about the why just a little bit in the sermon today. Why is God giving the people of Israel this promised land? Yeah, so that others would see and follow. That's a great way to be able to, to summarize it. That'll be kind of our, our main theme for today. Remember, God is not doing this just for the people of Israel. God is doing this so that his name will be made known. This is a, a neat piece within our life. Whenever we are going through a battle or maybe have a promise that is fulfilled in our lives, we remember that God isn't doing those things just for us. God really does things in our lives so that other people will see his name and that it will be made known. When you are going through a time in your life and things are not going well, maybe things are going horrible, the way that you respond, the way that you act, is a testament to other people around you. Hopefully in those times, and also in the times of celebration, when things are going good in your life, are you selfish and focused on yourself, or are you generous and open to being able to, to serving others? Same thing, the way that we react, the way that we engage in the world shares who our Lord is. God always works in the events of our life. And today, God is working through the people of Israel to be able to fulfill his promise and to be able to make his name known. Do you remember that promise? It was given a long time ago in the book of Genesis chapter 15, verse 16. Uh, let's review that scripture piece this morning. 
uh, Genesis 15, verse 16. It says, And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. This is the peace that God has given to his people. And right before that, as for yourself, you and your fathers should be in peace, and you should be, uh, be able to go forth for this next generation. God has given his people a promise that the fourth generation will receive this promise. And this has finally happened. Hundreds of years have gone by now since the Lord has created the earth, has always been there with his people, and today, that promise of the land being able to be delivered to the people is coming to fulfillment. Uh, this fourth generation is the equivalent to 400 years. So don't think of the generation as just being, uh, you know, 10 years or 50 years or certain lifetimes. 400 years has gone by. And that may seem like a lot of time to us, but in God's life, if you will, or in God's realm, Time is a very different existence. We are told that over and over again in Scripture. And so when God is delivering this promise to them today, he's delivering it right at the exact same time that he wants it to be able to be delivered. Um, you see there that it says the term Amorite is simply a description for people who lived in, the blank is Cana. We keep talking about these, uh, this land of Cana that's going to be taken over. If you did in your, your readings this week, it talked about the Amorites over and over again, just a generic term for people who lived in Cana. Within that realm, there's all those different people. It talks about all the different ites, uh, the Amorites, the Hittites. It goes on over and over again. But really, it's talking about this one group of people, the Amorites, that are there. Uh, they're not a good people. The people who live in this area, um, they're, they're evil, evil people. Uh, in Scripture, it talks about very clearly uh, that these are a group of people that uh, practice so many different uh, behaviors of idolatry. Uh, they practice adultery on a regular and open basis. Uh, it says that homosexuality is super rampant within their community. Uh, this verse that I gave you here of Deuteronomy 12:31, uh, I'm not going to look it up just for the sake of time this morning, but if you look up that verse, it specifically says in Scripture that the Amorites are sacrificing their children to uh, their false gods. They're killing their own children. Uh, it is a very, very uh, bad, bad society. This is an evil, evil group. And this helps answer us a little bit about the, the why of what uh, is going on. These people uh, weren't always like this, but their society progressed and got worse and worse and worse, and then God steps in. And we see that happen uh, a lot within Scripture. Think of the story of Noah you know, it goes on and on and on until the people are so bad, God steps in. The city of Sodom and Gomorrah, things go on and on and on. God lets go and God finally steps in. Sometimes things are allowed to get so bad that then God steps in. He can always step in on day one and stop any evil from ever occurring but he would be taking away our choice over and over and over again. 
God allows us still today and for the people in our text of Joshua to be able to choose. Remember we talked about that last week. God always allows the people to be able to choose. Even uh, in the text today, when they get to the promised land and they are right there, God even tells them again, if you want to go in, you can. You don't have to. And you hear Joshua say those words, for me and my family, we are going to serve the Lord. When you look around in society today, it would be easy for us to find horrible things that are going on. True evils in our world. And we may think society's never been that bad. I can tell you it has. And God knows this story too. And he promises us that he will step in. Things will get better. Things will get worse. Back and forth and back and forth. And finally, at one point in our history, Jesus himself is going to show up. God is going to step in, and he will put all of this to an end. But in that meantime, you and I have choices that God allows us to be able to live in this world. Remember that as we go through this book today. So let's look at a couple of the major accounts uh, that take place in this book. So if you have a Bible there with you, if you just want to open up to the book of Joshua, I think I put them in chronological order, I just want to look at some of the main events. You've probably heard of most of these things today, but it's fun for us to be able to see these. So the first one is uh, uh, Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. These are the words that people have written on their walls in their kitchen, or they got it stenciled somewhere in their house, or there's a Bible verse with it somewhere. You've seen it before. Verse uh, 6 from chapter 1. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers and to give to them. Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you to do. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The calling that Joshua receives and that concept, be strong and courageous, right? Be strong and courageous. God knows that battle that the people have to face. God is going to win it for them, but God also wants the people to trust in him and to be a part of it. He's not just giving it to them over and over again. The people are a part of his plan. Even though he is doing the work, he wants them to be able to trust the people trust. They go forward. Uh, God sends out uh, the, the spies, or Joshua, I should say, sends out those spies to be able to look at the city. You heard last week and this week. Remember, there's just two of them that go out. But what happens to those guys? Do you remember the story of these individuals? Uh, look at Joshua chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. Joshua 2, 10 through 11. For we have now heard the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, of Shion and Og, to whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is in the heavens and above the earth below." These are the words of Rahab. 
Remember the spies go into town and they need a place to be able to hide. They go to the house of a woman named Rahab who is a prostitute in the town. Again, remember, these are horrible people. This is not uh, some random uh, job that she has. Lots of people have this. In fact, a lot of their worship involved having temple prostitutes that were there. That was a form of their worship, as ridiculous as that may sound. These people did everything that they could that was detestable to God. But Rahab, this woman who is a prostitute, finds these two men as they come to her. They need help and she assists them. Why? Oh, you heard the words there. The whole town, she says, has heard of what your God has done. I love those words. And it has melted our hearts. Melted our hearts. It has taken away anything we had to be able to fight against you. We are worried. We are scared. And she says, because of this, I want to help you. And Rahab does. She hides the spies the king himself even finds out about it and sends people to be able to go and seek them out. And she still hides them at the expense of her own life, potentially. She lets them out in the middle of the night. They take off and they're able to be freed. And she says, remember me. And sure enough, when they come back into the town, the Lord and all the people remember her for what she has done. But look what the Lord does. This wasn't the spies doing this. It wasn't the people doing this. She heard what the Lord had done in their lives, and it melted her heart, this prostitute in this town. What can people hear from us in our lives that the Lord has done that will melt their hearts, that will change them, that will allow them to ask, what is different with those people? with those Christians. The people go forward, the spies go back, and we get to this account of the crossing of the Jordan. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read this one this morning. This is different than the crossing of the Red Sea. I think sometimes people pair these two together. There's a lot of different miracles in Scripture that sometimes we think are the, the same. They are, they are not. The Lord does it again. It's not just the Red Sea that is open, it's the Jordan that he now is open for the people to be able to walk through on dry ground to be able to go into the city. It's like the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and the miracle of the feeding of the 4,000. They're two different miracles that Jesus provides. Uh, there's a lot of different almost repeats we have in uh, scripture, different accounts, different actual miracles but some similarities that go along with that. And I like that with the story of the Lord because he seems to almost show himself over and over again in uh, similar ways. The people go forward and they attack this town of Jericho. And wouldn't you know it, they listen to what the Lord says for them to be able to command and it comes to fruition. I'm going to read this one because uh, this one's always fun from Joshua chapter 6. Just verses 20 and 21. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Remember the story of what God tells them what to do about how to attack? It seems so silly. 
To be able to march around the city, to be able to do that again and again and again. Imagine how crazy the people inside the city must have thought that they were. And then he says, all right, I got a big weapon for you today. And the people say, all right, what are we going to do? Blow those trumpets and then just yell. Yell. Yeah, yeah, I just want all of you guys to yell. But the people trust. I bet the people yell loud that day, knowing who their Lord was. And I bet their faith was increased so much more, being able to watch those walls just fall. Not because of their voice, but because of God's voice. Because, again, he had promised to be able to do this wonderful work through them. God is always acting in our lives. God is always showing up. God is always fulfilling his promises. Always. At all times and at all places. Um, that's that next point there in uh, Deuteronomy 9 verses 4 through 5. Being able to see the Lord act again on behalf of the people. Deuteronomy chapter 9 verses 4 through 5. We read, do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to be able to possess this land, whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. I'm going to read that again. Listen to what God is saying here. Do not say it's because of what you have done and how right righteous you are. Let me tell you why I am acting. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, after you have won, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Don't say that. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. This is why God is giving them the land. When we ask that question, why? It's not how righteous they are. It's the wickedness that is there. It's the same thing for you and I today. We receive salvation not because we are so great, but because our God is so great, because our sin is so evil. He is acting and he has responded because of that. Verse 5 goes on and says, Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are going to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you. And that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He says, this is going to happen. This is the promise that will be fulfilled. Not because of your righteousness, but because of their wickedness. Uh, I'm going to skip that next one there, again, just for the sake of time. Uh, God has his reasoning. You can go back and look at this. In the book of Exodus, it specifically shows of God being able to look forward and what his reasoning is for the people to be able to receive this land. But I do want to uh, look at this last one here. Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. This is a story uh, in the book of Joshua that is probably not as well known, but it is actually probably the key element in this book for me at least for me, and I think for, for a lot of people. A very interesting thing that happens. So this is Joshua uh, 5, 13 uh, through 14. 
When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us, or are you for our adversaries? And he said to him, No, but I am the commander of the Lord, uh, the army of God. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face. In some texts, you will look, and when Joshua says, Are you for us, or are you for our enemy? And most of the texts just say, Neither. I'm not for you, and I'm not for them. This individual isn't just a man that's there. This is a messenger directly from the the Lord. I can't tell you exactly who this person is. Some people will say that it's this Christocentric figure of Jesus presenting himself. It could be a a messenger, an angel of the, the Lord. Could be the embodiment of God in some way. Either way, this person is from the Lord, if not the Lord himself. And he says, neither. I'm not for you as the people of Israelites, and I'm not for these people, the Amorites. Who I am for is all people. And that's that blank that we come to there, the second to the last blank. The Lord does not choose sides. The Lord does not choose sides. We may think in this world that uh, we are the the church and there are people that are outside the church. Those are true. But God has not chosen either of us. God has chosen actually all of us. Whose side are you for? The good or the bad, Lord? Neither. I'm for what God says is correct. What I have moving forward. God is acting This is our answer at the bottom. We heard it in our sermon today. God is acting so that all people will come to know the one true God. God is acting so that all people will come to know the one true God. This is the Lord's purpose in the book of Joshua. That's that why of why he attacks this city, of why people lose their lives, and why the Lord is for us today, so that all people will know who he is. If there's one takeaway that you have for the book of Joshua, I pray that's it. Uh, Look at that scripture passage again later this week in Joshua chapter 5, where he meets this man with the sword. And remember those sides. God is here for all people. How can we do the same in our lives? Let's pray as we close today. Dear Lord, we thank you for uh, not choosing sides in our lives. For if we were compared uh, to your son and to your perfection, uh, we would be the ones that would lose every single time. Thank you for being able to provide the victory for us uh, through Christ, through this story of all people. And again, Lord, just make it alive and well in our hearts that we may show others this great victory that you have had for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, as usual, if you have any questions, please send me an email this week, and I'll try to get back to you on those. But thanks for being here today.